0: Lovely. Are you generous in your attitude to others? Or are you a proud Pharisee? Are you generous in your use of money? Or do you hoard it like a Pharisee? We're in a famous section here of Luke's Gospel. Luke 16 follows a very famous section of parables in Luke 15 where Jesus has just corrected the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked down their nose at Jesus for welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus has just corrected the Pharisees on their attitude to other people. And now Jesus is going to correct the Pharisees on their use of money. Jesus is here speaking to his disciples. This parable is very much for us. This is something for us to be putting into action. But it's clear too that the weight of conviction in this passage also falls on the Pharisees. Uh, it's they who ridicule, ridicule Jesus. Did you spot that in verse 14? The Pharisees ridicule Jesus. They don't like Jesus' teaching on money and generosity. They laugh at him. Jesus, this is too hard, you might imagine them saying. Surely with money we can just follow our, our religious devotion, our, our rules. They ridicule Jesus. But they've missed the fact that the God of the Bible is a generous God. He is generous down to his very bones. It is he who is generous in the parable of the prodigal son. Go back and look at Luke 15 to see that. He's the one who's generous to the lost. He's generous to the sinner and the weak and the vulnerable. So here is a parable that pushes us to be generous. In this parable, with all of its strangeness and oddness and difficulty, here is a parable that's going to encourage us to be generous. So I'd like us to walk through it. I'm going to um, hover on three things really tonight. So we're going to have a look at what the waste is. Okay? So there's a guy here who's accused of wasting his master's resources. So we're going to look at what the waste is. We're going to look at what his solution is. And we're going to look at what the challenge is. And through those three things... I think this parable is going to encourage us to be generous, okay? Let's see how we go. First of all, then, in this parable Jesus tells, notice the waste. It's there in verse 1, isn't it? Jesus uh, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, his man, was wasting his possessions, So here's Jesus, that famous storyteller, parable teller, and Jesus begins this story with a rich man. Now, what are we to imagine? I suppose we might imagine someone uh, in a suit in the city, perhaps in London, uh, living in a bit of a mansion or something. Well, in those days, this guy was probably a wealthy landowner. He probably owned lots of farms, and he probably employed lots of tenant farmers, and probably... Uh, His rent from the farms would have been as much as 30% of their harvest. It's quite a lot. No wonder he employed a manager to look after his estate for him. So we have a rich man and we have a manager. And word gets to this rich man, this owner of farms, that his employee, his manager, is wasting his possessions. Uh, What's the language in verse 1? Yes, wasting his possessions. Now, what on earth has this guy done? I mean, imagine having that job, right? How hard can it be? You're collecting rent from farms. You're checking everything's going okay. How on earth do you blow that one? I mean, what, what do we, how we understand this parable is going to depend on what we make of this waste. What is it that this dishonest guy has done? What does Jesus imagine that he, he has done here? And what, what were the first people who read this thought was going on here, wasting possessions. Well, one proposal, and there are some proposals, but I think this one makes the most sense. One proposal is that this guy who manages the landowners' estate is um, is cutting, is, is uh, he's abusing the system. So here are these farmers, and they have to pay their rent, and this estate manager sticks his own little fee on top. So where he should be taking, let's say, thirty percent rent. He takes 40%, 10% for himself. So here's a guy who is, who is squeezing the poor tenant farmers. And you think if you have a bad harvest and your rent was 40%, you're only ever one harvest away from dire trouble, aren't you? So imagine there is a bad year. Well, well now this guy's been forced into debt by all of these fees, you see. And maybe he can't buy enough seeds for the following harvest. So now that all of these farms are running into trouble because everyone's so indebted, Because this manager is just taking a little bit for himself all the time. Cruel, dishonest management. I think that is a proposal that makes sense of verse one. Here is a man abusing his position. Here then is a story that gets our attention. Here is someone treading on the poor to make themselves rich. Here is someone using power and position for their own selfish gain. And now he gets found out. So I think this is a a story where we now start cheering. We're quite pleased, aren't we? When you find out about someone like that, don't you cheer when they get their comeuppance? Aren't you happy when someone whistle blows on them? Well, it's happened to him here. Hooray, we think. Too right. But as soon as we start thinking that, we notice there's a bit of a shock. Because you see, who in the Bible is described again and again like an estate manager? It's the Pharisees, isn't it? The Pharisees are in charge of God's people. And have they cared for the poor? Have they looked after them? You might remember the story of Jesus going into the temple and how angry Jesus gets at the temple taxes. And then the pigeons being sold for inflated prices. Here is Jesus telling a story that really shocks the Pharisees. Who is it who has burdened the people? Who is it who's wasted the job that God gave them to do? Is it not the Pharisees? Poor, cruel, dishonest stewards, dishonest managers. They're starting to feel uncomfortable, you might think. They lay a financial burden on the poor by their, the way they run the temple. They leave the poor burdened down they're the dishonest managers, aren't they? But there's bite too for us here, isn't it? Here we're told a story about a guy abusing his position, abusing the things he's got to look after. And we think, hooray, good, you're getting your comeuppance. But it doesn't take too long for us to realise, hang on a minute, nothing I have is my own. Everything that I have, God has given me. In my life, I am no more than a steward, really. God's the creator. He's the one who makes out of nothing. I just receive things. All I have is a gift from him. And now I start to think, here's a dishonest steward. Here's a dishonest manager. What have I been like in looking after what the Lord has given me? So here's this guy, and he's taken his cut. And in his greed, he's taken from others. He's imposed a burden on others. I wonder, is that me? There's, a, there's an ice cream shop in Ventnor. Actually, we went there yesterday. And it's got so many ice cream flavours. Um, they let you have a tasting of each one, which is brilliant. Um, and it was there yesterday, and it reminded me of a cartoon, a kid's cartoon that we watched with the kids, Kipper the Dog. And sorry, this is a terrible illustration. I'm going to say it anyway. Kipper the Dog as runs a little sweet shop. And uh, he invites his friends to come and get sweets from him. And he says, would you like a free tasting?" And all the people come to the dog for a free tasting. And the dog says, and everyone says, yes, oh, yes, free tasting, please. And Kipper, the dog, goes to the lemon sherbet. He picks up a lemon sherbet, puts it in his own mouth, and describes the (laughs) flavour. It's uh, it's a free tasting, but only for Kipper, do you see? And uh, I'm struck here as I think, here's this man with this position, and boy, does he abuse it. He wastes the resources in his charge. Do they belong to him? No. Are they for him to care for and use well? <laughs> yes, and it's, and it's like a the jar of sweets where it's one for me, one for me, one for me. Begins to make me think about my resources. My monthly income is that for me, my paycheck, my pension, my budget, my house, my inheritance, my gift. And I think all of these things and I think about them for myself. Oh, this is a problem here. And it would have been a problem actually in the early church for the first readers of this parable. You know, in the early church, there were some wealthy benefactors, really, who would host the church in their house. But actually, most of the church was made up of widows and orphans and children. And so here's a, here's a thing that bites for the local church. Will those who are wealthy really be generous? Will they really care or will they end up loading burdens on others? Well, we talk about waste a lot, don't we? Energy waste, packaging waste, food waste. Well, here is a guy wasting resources. For, squandered for self-interested gain. And in our individualistic culture, it's not so very far from us, does it? There's a slight awkwardness as we read that first verse, I think. Certainly there is for me. Well, this criminal steward, he's called to account. And what happens, verse 2? the boss, he called to him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Here's a moment of crisis. This guy has squandered uh, the wealth of these farms. A bit like the young man, isn't it, in in the prodigal son. You know, he squanders what's given him. Here's another guy who squandered it. And again, there's a moment of crisis, just like the prodigal son has a a moment of of crisis. What's he going to do for this guy, imagine you've been a farm manager. If word gets out that you embezzled the funds, that you used everything for yourself, well, your life's pretty much done and dusted, isn't it? You're ruined. The shame on you, it's all gone. This guy, is, his life is over. He's totally ruined. He must find a solution. He's got this little moment to find a solution. Um, his master said to him in verse two, doesn't he? He's got, he's got some time turning the account of your management. So he's about to be fired, but he's got a little moment before he's got a hand in the books. So let's see then, point number two, what solution in this story does this dishonest manager come up with? And I think this too, as we look at this solution, pushes us to generosity. Let's look at his solution, verses three and four. The manager said to himself, knowing his time's up and he's about to be fired, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. He says, oh, I've got this moment of mercy. So I need to act before I've got to hand the accounting. I'm going to act. And look what he does. Look at verse five. So summoning the master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. In come these tenant farmers, laden down with debt when this farm has been run so badly. And he divides them up. They don't all come together to one meeting. They come in one by one. He clearly doesn't want word getting out about his, uh, his terrible management. Now, what's he doing here? What's this manager doing here? It sounds like he's cheating more, doesn't it? It sounds like this terrible cheat is being even more of a cheat. He's cheating his boss. He says, oh, I'll save myself and my reputation. And I'll reduce everyone's rent. And I'll reduce all the debts they owe my master. And you think, well, that, yeah, maybe that's what's going on. But then you think to yourself, but he's already blown everything up. He's already cheated once, and we know in this parable he gets praised later on. Is he really going to cheat again? Is he really going to get praised for doubly being a cheat? What's going on here? Well, doesn't it make sense that if this guy has mismanaged affairs by adding his own little cut, could it be that what he's doing here is simply removing that burden that he laid down before? Doesn't that make sense? You see, what is going on, I think, at this moment is this dishonest manager is repenting. I think that's what's going on. I think he's, he's reversing the damage that he's done to these poor people, taking away his cruel cut, his cruel bit of the rent that was for him. And he takes it back, and I think he thinks to himself, actually, if I do this all right, I'm, I might actually come out of this okay. He's got his moment, a small moment to make things right. And in this moment, I think he takes his lead from his master, actually. You know, the landowner could have simply fired him, couldn't he? But he gave him a moment, a moment of mercy to turn in these accounts. And I think he's now going, here's a moment of mercy. What if I show mercy? What if I take that moment of mercy to repent? And so he forgives the debts. Of these poor farmers. He removes the obligations. He takes away the wrongful charges. Do you see what this might have felt like to the Pharisees listening in? What is the point? You have laid heavy burden on the people with your religious rules and your temple taxes. What are you going to do about it? You unjust stewards. Well, we see here that in the mercy of the master, this man acts. He acts what will the Pharisees do? Will they undo the wrong that they have done? And I guess it makes me feel, as I feel that kind of ache of poor stewardship of resources in my life, it makes me think, okay, wow, there's a moment here. There's a moment to be generous where I haven't been before. There's a moment to undo the wrongs that I have done in the past. Today is a day of mercy. I haven't yet got to hand in my account to the master today is a day when i can settle things where i can make things right i'm not standing before god yet there'll be a day when i will but now's a day where i can repent and make things right maybe this is a personal matter for you maybe maybe you have things in your heart where you know you've, you've withheld resources from people they wouldn't even know but you know you have well then speak to god about it Ask his forgiveness quietly. Set about making it right. Find the opportunity to be generous where you haven't before. Maybe to you there are very obvious ways where you feel like you've been tight-fisted. You could have given to others. You could have used your car to give that person a lift. That generous gift you received, and you didn't need it. That gift from that relative, you didn't need it. It was, God seemed to be giving you some money. And you heard of someone struggling, but, well... You just kept it. The cost of cooking that meal. You could have done it. We could have done it. The cost of taking the bus to see that person. The cost of that phone call. The cost of the data on your mobile phone to help someone book into church. You wouldn't do it. Well then, here is a moment to repent, isn't it? To make things right. Today is the moment of mercy. The master of mercy has shown mercy. And he gives his unjust stewards time to repent. And I think there's a little pointer here to make the most of the time. So how about it? Are you generous to others? Are you generous with resources? We've seen this manager, how he mismanaged the estate, how he wasted this farm, these farms he was to look after. We've seen his solution. I'll undo the wrongs that I have done. Forgiving those debts. But the third thing is where we need to get to, isn't it? The challenge. What is the challenge of this story that Jesus is telling? The parable calls on the Pharisees to repent, I think, but it also calls on us to be shrewd. It calls on us to be shrewd. You see, verse 8 of this story tells us, doesn't it, that the master who's been taken advantage of ends up in this story quite impressed with this manager. He commends the guy moments ago he should have given the sack to. <laughs> Did you spot that verse 8? Look at it. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, saying, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So here's a parable, and it seems to be about bad stewardship at the outset. But then we find out that the big thing this story is about is about being shrewd. Now, what is shrewd? Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, I don't know what that word really means. We don't really use it very much. I went to Google to have a look at what the word shrewd means. And Google told me that shrewd means to have sharp powers of judgment, to be astute. A shrewd business person is someone who's able to take advantage of hidden opportunities. A shrewd person generally is able to understand and judge a situation quickly and is able to use their understanding to their own advantage shrewd means to be smart about situations and to think of the future i think well how is this manager shrewd exactly well here are these poor tenant farmers indebted aren't they and every year they face potential financial ruin and he calls them in and i guess maybe they think they're called in with a message from the master but then they sit down with the manager and he says look how much do you owe? Let me, let me cut it. And he reverses his wrongs. But what's the outcome? His tenant farmers rejoice. I mean, I imagine they come out of the meeting I'm, in, 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 this, you know, in this story and they go, wow, haven't we got a good manager? Haven't we got a good landowner? How merciful. How brilliant. The farmers rejoice, don't they? The farmers are chuffed. They're chuffed with the manager. They're chuffed with the landowner. And how does the landowner feel about this in this parable? Is he going to rain on the parade? Is he going to fire this shrewd manager now? Well, he's the most popular guy in the town now, this manager, having cut all these debts. Does he recognise here is a guy who showed mercy as he showed mercy? The shrewdness, though, is in what he's done with these farmers, isn't it? He knows that even if he gets fired now he has mates. He's forgiven their debts. If someone forgave your debts how would you feel towards them? You'd just be best mates wouldn't you? There'd be nothing you wouldn't do for someone who forgave your your debts. You see this is a guy who's thinking I'm about to be fired and what I'll do to prepare for it is I'll repent. I'll undo my damage. And people will be so chuffed that even if I've lost my reputation, even if I'm unemployed, even if I'm homeless, I'm now going to have friends in farms all across this estate who are going to say, you can stay with me. He's made friends for when everything goes wrong. He's shrewd, isn't he? And that's the point, the teaching point for us here in verse nine, isn't it? Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails and it will they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus wants us to know tonight that just like this manager made friends for the future, well we are to make friends for the future too. When that money fails, we will not take our earthly riches with us. Our pensions won't be worth anything in heaven. They won't generate a a monthly check from the post office. There's a day coming when money won't be worth the paper it's printed on. So use it now, says Jesus, for something that's worth having. You can't take it with you. Don't hoard it. Be generous with it. You buy a friend a ticket to the theatre. You go into the theatre with some mates from Grace Church and think, oh, I'll invite a friend. You buy them a ticket. It's generous. And because of that invitation, because they got to know people, later on when you invite them to church, they come. Later they do Christianity Explored, and this month they're being baptised. Named Susan and she's become a Christian. This Christmas you plan to buy everyone in your team at work and in your neighbourhood group a, a Christmas booklet. You plan to give away ten with Christmas cards. You're not sure anyone will read them but you pray that they will. Now little do you know years after that Jamie's moving house and he discovers that booklet you gave to them all those five years ago. And the Spirit's at work, and he gives his life to Christ. And he doesn't understand it all, but he finds his way to church. His name's Jamie, and he's a Christian. Grace Church do a series of guest events, and you think, well, I'll invite some mates. Maybe I'll cook a meal and have them over, and maybe I'll try and get a speaker around at the end, and we can grill him back at our place. and some, And some people come. And Steve comes and a few of them really lay into him. And there's one lady there who won't ask any questions at all. You're not sure what she's making of it. But one day she asked to come to Grace Church. Her name's Karen and now she's a Christian. And it all started with some hospitality and some grub, some generosity. And what is Jesus teaching us here Make friends for when money fails. Jesus says, imagine the day when you walk into heaven and there is Sue and there is Jamie and there is Karen. Are you not going to have such a party? You are there with your risen Lord and saviour. And there are friends who say, thank you so much for your generosity to me. I know the saviour part of his eternal kingdom money used shrewdly today can be used to make friends for eternity you can use unrighteous wealth wealth that could be used for unrighteous stuff it can be used to make friends for forever what good is money now when you can't take it with you and Jesus he looks at the world and he says you know the people of the world they know all this You know, you look around in the world, people are shrewd. They've got good judgment. They know that you make decisions now based on what's coming up. People have foresight for the future. They prepare for the future and think, what's the good thing to do now for the sake of the future? He says, surely, Christians, sons of the light. You're aware of the future. So be shrewd. Surely we can have better judgment. Surely we could be like this guy who's preparing for the day when he's unemployed. How's your judgment then is the question, isn't it? Are we really that daft that we're not going to use our funds and all our resources for eternity? Jesus draws out some conclusions of this parable. And I think they should be rocket fuel for us, really. We should be like the shrewd manager. Now, why? We should be preparing for the future. Why? Well, look at verse 10 onwards. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful In much and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much jesus says you know maybe you're thinking i don't have that many resources so this doesn't really apply to me and jesus says but even if you have a little well it matters it matters how you use it here's the pharisees and maybe they're saying we're stewards we're not really stewards of very much we're kind of stewards of these people over here these kind of poor people maybe it doesn't matter very much and jesus like actually it matters a lot It matters a lot. Dishonest with little and you'll be dishonest with more, says Jesus. And then look what other implications Jesus draws out, verse 11 and 12. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus says, look, this money now is really, it's only paper, isn't it? If you can't use a bit of paper well, who's going to give you anything true true riches in heaven? And if you can't be faithful with that which is God's, which is, at the end of the day, it's God's responsibility. It's not yours, so you should have a freedom to use it, steward it well. If you can't be faithful with that, well, who's ever going to give you something that's really going to be your own? You see, this world in these terms, then, is a preparation for the next, isn't it? If you use your treasure well here, well, then you may well be charged with, as it were, treasure in heaven in the world to come. So, Christian, be shrewd. Be smart. Have foresight for the future because at the end of the day, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Jesus' point is simple, isn't it? You cannot serve God whilst greedily collecting money and conserving it. You can't live a life of worship while you're collecting and hoarding. You cannot serve God and money. Of course, the Pharisees here think they can. And they'll discover if only they read on and flick the page that one day they'll find out they're wrong. Just read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus to learn about that. But the wise man, the careful steward, the wise person, uses their resources with foresight for the future. They use temporary worldly wealth to make friends for eternity. And the Pharisees ridicule. We saw that, didn't we, uh, in verse 14. Oh, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. The Pharisees are seeking to look good in front of people. They're trying to look good religiously. They make out like they can fulfill the law by just kind of doing what they want with money. And look at what Jesus says, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Here are the Pharisees. They're trying to find their own way into heaven. They've rearranged the law and they're not truly generous. And Jesus says the law was until John the Baptist. But now the good news is preached. And he says people are getting into the kingdom of God hand over fist. There's forgiveness of sins through Jesus. I'm going for it. And People are throwing stuff away to be part of it. And here are these Pharisees hoarding their wealth, looking down on others, burdening others. And Jesus says you're at risk of being left behind. Take the moment of mercy. It's hard to love God, isn't it? It's hard to give up on love of money, but that's what the good news is for, isn't it? It's what the good news of God's generosity to us is for. Don't you think it was hard for Jesus? Remember Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? And Satan says to him, you can have the kingdoms of this world without a cross. Don't you think it was hard for Jesus to say no to that? A kingdom without a cross. But Jesus was shrewd, wasn't he? With foresight for the future, he knew that a kingdom without a cross would not be the kingdom of the glorious Father. For that future, he would give generously. Jesus would give of his life to make friends, no, brothers and sisters, for eternity. See, we're not trying to live out the law. We're not trying to fiddle the books and just handle money just about right. Jesus has given everything for us. And that generosity should be fuel for our generosity, shouldn't it? What have we that we must be faithful with? There's a challenge here, isn't there? And it's there in verse 9. Coming from the lips of Jesus, the Saviour who gave everything to make you his friend. Read verse 9 again. And I tell you. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Should we pray?